No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Over 25 years ago, I was pregnant with our first baby, Nathaniel. Of course, I read every book I could get my hands on, hoping I would learn enough not to make a complete mess of motherhood. One book in particular stands out in my memory. The book asserted that you should put your baby on a feeding schedule from birth. That made sense to me, and I decided to follow its advice. So, for the first few weeks of Nathaniel's life, I kept him on a strict feeding schedule. But one afternoon, I was sitting on the couch while Kelly held Nathaniel until it was feeding time. Our baby was sucking furiously on his pacifier, and at least in my memory, he was looking straight at me with his little baby eyes, pleading with me to let him eat. I couldn't take it anymore. The schedule wasn't working. I took Nathaniel in my arms and let him nurse on demand. And for the first two days, it seemed like he ate every hour. He was starving, And then he and I gradually fell into our own schedule, not dictated by the book. I was a happier mother, and he was most certainly a happier baby. I took that book and threw it in the trash. <laughs> Because it didn't work for me. Even though it had helped, and still probably helps, many mothers. So please hear me, mothers. If you were a person who put your baby on a schedule and it worked, kudos. I'm so happy that that worked. For me, it didn't work. <laughs> I had to learn a very hard lesson. I had to learn to trust my intuition as a mother. And none of my reading had prepared me for that. In fact, my strict, rigid adherence to this book's advice blinded me to the needs of my own baby. I had to let go of my preconceptions and take a leap of faith. Our gospel text today is about a man I relate to. He was a teacher, a leader, a person well-read and versed in the scripture because he was a Pharisee. He trusted what he learned from reputable sources. In fact, he was a witness to many of the signs and wonders Jesus performed, and he was impressed by them. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Often people assume he did this out of fear, which is possible. But the Gospel of John is highly symbolic. And his coming by night might symbolize the fact that Nicodemus comes in spiritual darkness, confusion, and misunderstanding. Nicodemus confidently says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. At least he recognizes that Jesus is from God. But if we consider Jesus. 
Nicodemus responds with a question that exposes not his ignorance, I would argue, but his inability to see beyond the literal. How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can anyone enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? This is the question of a mature and astute person who hears Jesus' words but is bound by a rigid, literal meaning. Nicodemus was a brilliant teacher, but he was blind to mystery and symbolism. He was a person, like many of us, who wanted a direct and easy-to-understand path to God. Jesus' response to Nicodemus is filled with cryptic symbolism. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit, he says. The word spirit can refer to the Holy Spirit, of course, and it can also simply mean breath or wind. Jesus plays with the ambiguity of the word's meanings while talking with Nicodemus. Although many interpreters suggest that the water Jesus speaks of is the water of baptism and the coming of the Spirit at baptism, I wonder if there is more to it than that. John's Gospel begins, after all, with the words, in the beginning. Here, Jesus describes the wonder of the wind, its mysterious origins, and its untamability. Perhaps Jesus is alluding to the very beginning of creation in Genesis 1-2, where darkness hovered over the surface of the waters, and God's breath or wind or spirit blew over the surface of the deep. This imagery speaks of the womb, darkness, water, potential for life. And in the midst of Genesis's windy, watery mystery, God cries out, let there be light, and creation is born. With creation imagery, then, Jesus expresses to Nicodemus that everyone who is born of water and spirit or wind is born from mystery. Birth from above is inexplicable by its very nature. It cannot be understood, literally. Birth from above can only happen in the primeval darkness, in the womb of the Father whose ways are ineffable. Nicodemus is baffled by this. And let's be honest, who wouldn't be? <laughs> Faced with such mystery, he can only respond with the question, how can this be? The same question Mary asked Gabriel at the Annunciation. Jesus responds, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Now, I don't think Jesus was rebuking Nicodemus. I think Jesus knew that even the best mind in Israel would be perplexed by the concept of being born from above or new. What follows is a treatise on belief and eternal life. In John, eternal life is defined as knowing God and knowing Jesus, and such knowing results in abundant life in the here and now. Eternal isn't just in the hereafter. Eternal life starts with believing 
God's Son. As John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. For those of you who came out of evangelical backgrounds, like I did, John 3.16 is probably a familiar verse. In fact, it is the verse. It's the verse that is plucked out of all the New Testament as the text of salvation, often interpreted to mean that if you believe in Jesus, you will go to heaven, but if you don't, you will go to hell. Sadly, this verse has been used to scare people into praying the sinner's prayer. Believe in God or else, not believe in God because God loves you. This is not only a sad misuse of the text, it also fails to read the verse in context because the very next verse says, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let me repeat that. In order that the whole world might be saved through him. God's love is inclusive, not exclusive. Welcoming, not condemnatory. Extended to all who are willing to take the leap of faith to be born from above. Nicodemus was confronted with mystery, not certainty, with the spiritual, not the intellectual. He was invited to enter the darkness brooding over the surface of the deep, to be buffeted by the wind from the beginning of the world, to believe in Jesus, not just about Jesus, in order to be born from above. Nicodemus' response to this mysterious interaction with Jesus is not recorded. Perhaps when he left, he was as confused as when he arrived. He does, however, appear later at Jesus' trial in John 7, where he offers a word of defense. And again at Jesus' burial, loaded down with a ridiculous amount of spices. I hope that his presence at the tomb indicates that he eventually accepted the mystery and became a disciple. I hope that Nicodemus, the intellectual teacher of Israel, abandoned his book knowledge, threw it in the trash, and took the leap of faith to be born from above. For all the Nicodemuses here today, all of us who struggle with mystery and long for certainty. Lent is a wonderful season to allow ourselves to be baffled by God, to let our certainties be scattered by the tempestuous wind of the Spirit, to enter the murky darkness of God's mysterious womb so that we can be born anew again and again.